And so as I got into the field, I, I had been practicing for a few years. And what I noticed was that talk therapy tended to only go so far with folks. Mm-hmm. Like I had a lot of clients who were so like, I mean, they were sensitive and they were kind and they were in many parts of their lives, very accomplished, but they were also very stuck. They, mm. what they knew wasn't translating to what they were experiencing in their body. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah May, and this is a show all about exploring messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Hey everyone, welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast and our current series, The Sex Series. This is a surprise early episode because, well, I just didn't want to wait anymore to get it to you, especially after talking with Angie about trauma and the body in the last episode. So today I bring you something you have been asking for, and that is an interview with an EMDR therapist. And it's not just an interview. She is going to be answering your questions that you have about EMDR therapy, which I collected a while ago when you all submitted them. Now, I'm very excited to tell you that I am speaking today with the passionate Andy Kolber, who is the author of the new book, Try Softer. You all are going to love her and this interview. Uh, But first, what the heck is EMDR? (laughs) Well, it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization. desensitization and reprocessing, and it's a therapy used for those who have had trauma in their life. So the big idea of EMDR therapy is to help get us unstuck and integrate or be made whole after trauma. So with that said, here's my interview with Andi. But I really am grateful for all the voices. I feel like we're finally seeing Christian professional mental health voices <laughs> coming out and talking about the reality of trauma, the reality of our bodies, the reality of these different issues that we face in a way that is not just surface, um, but that is really digging into the science of how God made us. And I mean, I love that you went through the body's reactions to things and the fight, flight, fawn, like all of that, like wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So well done sister. Like I just hope it gets far and wide and it will, I mean, it's, it's hitting a nerve. So that means so much. Well, thank you for honoring that. Well, with that, Auntie, hi, welcome to the complicated heart podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Isn't that, isn't it funny? Like everybody always starts their podcast that way. And I'm like, I really have to come up with like a new way of saying welcome. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, Andy, tell us your circus trick. I'm just kidding. Do you have one though? Man, I wish I can almost juggle sometimes. Really? Yeah. Okay. I can tie my hair in a knot with one hand. That's all I got. Wow. Nothing that's else. actually really impressive. It's like my only talent. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Andy, I am, it really is an honor to have you on the show. I have, um, now as we were just talking about, I have seen you everywhere with your, mm-hmm. um, book out now, try softer, a fresh approach to move us out of anxiety, stress and survival mode and into a life of connection and joy. That is just beautiful. Um, and so, but before I even knew about this book, I had asked my readers on Instagram, Uh, I want to interview an EMDR therapist because people were asking me about it and your name came up. And so I started to stalk you, follow you (laughs) and learn about you and read everything that you have done. And I was like, wow, this is really good. And then I saw you had the book coming out. And so it's really fun to me that um, it's my readers that picked you to have the conversation on EMDR therapy. So um, before we, and I have lots of questions from listeners and, um, but I'm not necessarily just going to like bullet you with them. We'll just see how the conversation unfolds and I'll do my best to hit on the questions that they are most curious about. And because we are in the middle of the series on sex, um, a lot of this is going to be viewed through the lens of 
sexual trauma and Mm. does EMDR therapy, where does that fit when it comes to childhood sexual trauma or any sexual trauma in the life Mm. of a woman specifically? My my listeners are mainly women. So that is how we are going to tenderly approach this whole conversation. But before we jump in, could you just tell me what drew you to wanting to become a counselor and then specifically why you wanted to train in EMDR therapy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have been practicing as a therapist for, gosh, I'm like almost losing track. It's over a decade. <laughs> um, I graduated from Denver Seminary back in 2008 and, you know, since then have gotten licensed and then subsequently got trained in EMDR probably about six years ago. Um, I have a, a private practice in Castle Rock, Colorado, um, in addition to, you know, writing and I'm a mother of two and I'm married. And so definitely a good amount of things going on. Um, but part of my story is that I grew up um, in a significantly dysfunctional and chaotic family. Um, I grew up where, you know, my parents were married, but, um, both struggled with mental health, um, pretty significant mental health issues and addiction and trauma. And so, uh, one parent, um, in particular, uh, my mom, uh, was an alcoholic. She, um, she is sober now and in recovery. Um, but then my father had a lot of unaddressed, um, mental health issues and, and his own trauma. And so really I experienced my mom as the safe parent, even though Mm. she was also um, addicted, you know, to alcohol. And so, but Mm -hmm. the dynamic there was that the times that I most needed her, um, she was often so overwhelmed and, and triggered, um, by her own trauma and really a, a very toxic marriage that the mm-hmm. times that I, I, that I and, and my siblings really needed her, um, she was, she was totally unavailable. And, and the reason why that's significant, and we'll probably talk about trauma, you know, we'll unpack this more, but especially for kiddos, our, our bodies, um, were created to need our caregivers and yes. our nervous systems are not fully formed as kids. We're designed to need our parents. And so when we go through things that are overwhelming and we don't have a secure adult, um, though that we experience those situations as trauma. And so I had chronic trauma um, through things like emotional abuse, um, psychological abuse, um, and just a lot of instability. And, you know, a, a lot of what I would call a classify as little T trauma, meaning it doesn't classify as a post-traumatic stress disorder, um, in the, you know, in the diagnostic sense. Um, but over time, what we've come to learn is that when little T traumas accumulate, they can act on our body in the same way as mm-hmm. big T trauma. And so that is my experience and it has been a heck of a journey. Um, Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I was training to become a counselor that I realized that not everybody is always hanging on by, by the skin of their teeth in life, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't normal to have to dissociate um, or normal to feel like constant fear and anxiety in my body. Um, Over time, you know, I did my own therapy in in seminary. I um, was one of the things I so appreciate is how much I was really encouraged um, and gently nudged to do my own work. Um, And so as I got into the field, I, I had been practicing for a few years. And what I noticed was that talk therapy tended to only go so far with folks. Mm-hmm. Like I had a lot of clients who were so like, I mean, they were sensitive and they were kind and they were in many parts of their lives, very accomplished, but they were also very stuck. They, mm-hmm. what they knew wasn't translating to what they were experiencing in their body. Yes. And it was like, well, that was actually me too. Right. Like I, mm-hmm. that's what was a funny thing. Like I, as a therapist, had had some of those same experiences. And that's what really got me curious about EMDR and this idea that it's a holistic, like more incorporating all the systems of our body to sort of um, get us unstuck is really so much of 
the big idea behind EMDR. Um, Mm. And in training around that, it actually changed the trajectory of of my entire life. I mean, that's why I wrote, I mean, that's really what has caused me personally to come to even be able to identify myself as a survivor of trauma. I didn't even Mm. have that language before. I, I probably minimized my own experience very much. Um, And so EMDR um, I can't wait to talk about it more because it is it, an extraordinary tool for sure. You know, it's so interesting. I was thinking about how you said that you hadn't gone through your own work or your own counseling until after you were in school for it. And I find this actually a lot. I found that with my myself and other therapists that I talk to is it's as if God woos them to want to train in counseling mm-hmm. <laughs> and then is like, oh, see, look, you need some too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, and it's such like, a, you know, sometimes we wouldn't just get into it because you didn't have it before you went to school, right? Like you didn't get into. Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of it was that I didn't even know how bad it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so that's, um, I think, and, and I think you're totally right. Like, I mean, I think it's, it's the, the kindness of God, but, and also just that our bodies are designed. We often gravitate towards the things that we actually need for better. Yes, that's good. And sometimes the way that we need them come out in ways that aren't always healthy for us, mm-hmm. like uh, paradoxically. Um, but there's always information there. Meaning yeah. we, if we can get curious, you know, cause like yes. I always say that, you know, this is where sometimes folks keep getting attracted to a certain type of relationship that ends up being hurtful. Mm. This is a great example of that. It's, it's often because there's an unmet need there. And Mm -hmm. if we can honor that and really get down to that very base level, it's not the need that's bad, but sometimes we need some support and some healing and some new information to help us guide us to know that the way we're doing it isn't always helpful. Um, Thankfully, by the grace of God, um, I feel really thankful that the way that my path played out. Um, mm. because I was able to begin to unpack the layers, um, behind things that frankly, our culture just celebrates. Like people looked at me as being, uh, I mean, I was like, I'm like the highest, I just was inducted into my hall of fame for my high school as being that highest leading scorer for basketball. Um, wow. Which, Congratulations. <laughs> I mean, it was re- like really cool, but I, I, I partly share that because on the outside, I looked pretty dang good in some ways. People were like, well, Mm -hmm. I'm going to college and she's, she plays sports and she does these things. But on the inside, I was absolutely, um, often terrified and anxious and alone. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so often our culture teaches us to celebrate what we see on the outside and we're rewarded for that. But really, you know, this kind of work, this deeper inner work is all about integration. And that's what God made us for is to be whole, to be, you know, shalom. That's, yes. what, that's what we're called yes. to is wholeness. And so we can't be whole if we're, you know, dying on the inside, but shiny on the outside. Yes. I love your passion. This is so great. I love your passion. I, it's so wonderful to hear you so excited about this. And how you are saying you are so anxious on the inside. I just have been, um, I talk a lot about anxiety and it's fascinating because that word means to be fractured, right? To be divided in two and to be divided into parts. And and so even with our anxiety, God is calling us to um, be unfractured, to be whole. He wants to take all those divided parts and, and, and make us whole. And I just, I love that. And I love hearing you. And I'm curious, did you actually go through your own EMDR therapy? Like, did you participate in it? Yeah. So initially when I got trained in it again, I hadn't done it for okay. myself yet. Mm-hmm. So, but I, in the training we do, you know, in, in ways they try to really make it, um, so it's not your deepest trauma that you're addressing, but you yeah. do actual EMDR with the folks, um, that you're training with. Mm-hmm. So even in those instances, it was profound. Wow. Like even during the training weekend. So it's something like I had to do like 50 hours of training. So it's quite intense. Um, and it was profound, you know, and I think there is that sense where when you've had an experiential 
like that difference between knowing about it versus like doing it. Yes. Um, holy moly. You know, it's like, mm. so having the opportunity to be sort of the client and then you're also the therapist, you know, at times, um, was so incredibly helpful. And I, I had the opportunity to train with just an exceptional trainer who I, um, her, it's through Myberger Institute. Her name's Barb Myberger. She is phenomenal. And I've done additional advanced trainings with her since, but, um, I feel like that made a really big difference Yeah, because who teaches you and how you learn matters. Mm. Um, because this information, frankly, at face value, someone could take that and they could understand the concepts. But to me, this work is an embodied work, meaning that our therapists can't take us where they haven't gone themselves. Mm. We have to, um, and this is something I take to heart in my work with my clients, that, that if I'm asking, for example, if I'm trying to help a client get grounded and really into um, reconnected with their body. I frankly have to also be connected to my body. Yes. While I'm yes. Because on multiple levels, even from a, like from a neurobiological standpoint, there's something called a nervous system contagion. So if I'm super anxious and I'm with a client and I'm trying to help them get centered, I'm actually working against them. Mm. If, that, if, if that's what I'm doing. And it's not about the words. It's about things like, um, you know, the way our body perceives and the, what our body is reading yeah. from the experience of being with another person. Um, mm. And so all that to say, this, this work of EMDR is so connected to really being in our bodies. And um, the people who do EMDR with us, it's really important that they are able to hold that space for, for a client in a really, um, specific kind of way. Mm, that's so good. Okay. I'm sold, but what <laughs> is it? What is EMDR therapy? Can you define it for us? Yes. So EMDR stands for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. And this is a, it's a therapeutic modality um, that was originally sort of identified and developed by a woman named uh, Dr. Francine Shapiro. And it's, gosh, it's been probably over a couple of decades now. Um, she recently passed away, but um, essentially this is kind of a, a fun little random story. But she discovered this concept. She was walking in the park one day. And she was thinking about something that was like disturbing. And then she started to like look like back and forth to different directions. And what she noticed was that she started to feel better when she had this, um, like, you know, her eyes were going to the right and then her mm -hmm. eyes were looking to the left. And so this got her sort of curious and what, what developed over time is now EMDR and, and the concept, the basics are this, that um, we have, you know, we have, we have essentially two hemispheres of our body and, and especially two hemispheres of our brain. And so when through things like either eye movement or it could be like tapping, um, alternate tapping, or it could be through sound, like sound going back and forth on, in different ears, when we um, basic, basically stimulate um, both hemispheres of our brain alternately, what it does is it seems to enhance processing. And it, the theory behind it is that it's sort of similar to REM sleep. Mm -hmm. so, so when we sleep, um, some special processing happens in our brain in which we consolidate like long-term memory. And we just things that have happened in our day-to-day -day lives, they sort of get filed away correctly. So EMDR is helpful because if we go back to what trauma is, trauma is anything that overwhelms our nervous system's ability to cope. And what happens is, is that if you think of it like, almost like something that, um, is it's a file that you're trying to put away, like when you're sleeping, for example, right? Mm -hmm. But that file, maybe it's too big 
or it didn't have the right support. So the file doesn't ever get put in the right place. And that's what trauma is. It, it's, it's, it's sensory information, things like sound, smell, touch, sensation, um, picture that don't get consolidated and put to, in the right place. Mm. And so when something that feels connected or reminds us of the trauma gets queued up or triggered, our body re-experiences the trauma as though it's happening in present time. Because our right hemisphere of the brain doesn't know the difference between, between past and present. And so EMDR, the purpose is with, with, with deeper levels of safety, that it is a way to unstick that trauma and allow our body to process it and consolidate it so that it goes to the parts of our memory that make us feel like it's in the past and it's over now. So the goal is that the triggering thing that would trigger you before will no longer trigger you? Is that kind of what you're saying? Like you'll be able to not be triggered by that thing? Yes. It's, I would say that's a, um, that's a symptom of what will happen probably, but it's, the goal is that it gets integrated into our whole brain. The okay. definition, uh, one definition of trauma is that it just, it's, it's fractured. It's disconnected from the rest of our brain. And so mm. when we do trauma work, we're actually, we're bringing about wholeness. We're bringing it back to the parts of our brain that might know like we're safe now. God loves us. We have people mm. that support us. It wasn't our fault. We did the best we could. Um, we were a child and we had no choice. Um, mm. Like all this information that is helpful will now be available to be able to connect to the trauma and almost like to soothe the, like, like it's like the trauma doesn't have to stand alone in the dark anymore. It's Mm -hmm. like the trauma gets to come into the whole, like all the resources that God's given us are now available to the, the, the part of ourselves that was once wounded and alone. And so that's where, um, that's where so much deeper healing tends to happen because it's like I can never tell someone what exactly will happen when their trauma gets processed, mm-hmm. but it's more like the, the resources they already have mm. will help them to make new meaning, to find new hope and new purpose after that trauma gets processed. Okay. I have so many things <laughs> that I want to say or ask. Um, and Okay. I'm trying to organize my thoughts here. I know I have questions, but there's also all kinds of things. So first of all, I have to say, I am so grateful for continued research because when I was studying counseling in college, we had to read a book called Crazy Therapies and EMDR was in the book. And I didn't even realize that until recently we were, we just moved. So I was cleaning off my bookshelf. I found this book and I thumbed through it and EMDR was listed and they were like making fun of it. And it was like, um, this is crazy. And they did. They told the story of the woman who developed it and how she came up with it. And at that time, um, I guess, did she develop this in like the 70s, maybe? Yeah, I think it was like the late 70s, if I'm remembering correctly. So it was really not taken seriously. And mm-hmm. And now we have all of this research and we have all of um, this incredible information about how the Lord has made our bodies and our minds that now it's actually making sense why it would work. Um, And I just think that is so cool. I'm sure you've read the book. In fact, I think you, eh, maybe you mentioned it in your book. I can't remember. Um, The Body Keeps the Score. And okay, probably required reading, right? Like, (laughs) When I read that, it blew my mind just how God had made the body and how the body really does talk to us and tell us things. And so, of course, it would make sense to me about EMDR. And I first heard about EMDR because when I was in my first year of marriage, so this was in 2003, um, and I was really struggling with intimacy in my marriage. And um, 
And my therapist was like, you should consider EMDR. And I was like, what the heck is that? And I never did because it sounded crazy to me. I was like, what? No, this is so dumb. And all of these years, I've still never done it, but it keeps popping up in my life, you know? Mm. And I feel like it's coming to a head of like, now I just have to find a good EMDR therapist. Mm. But I think it's the same for a lot of listeners is what I'm saying is I think this idea has popped up over the years, but it's only now I feel like more and more becoming more um, serious or like, no, this really is legit. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, again, I'm seeing this whole conversation we're having really through the lens of sexual trauma is um, fear of, can I really hope that maybe this will work? Maybe this Mm -hmm. will help. And so um, with that, (laughs) I want you to give me first a 50,000 foot view of mm-hmm. what trauma EMDR helps, but then I would like to go into specific questions um, that uh, listeners have submitted. And so, could you give us mm-hmm. sort of a general, like, what trauma can EMDR therapy help? And I want to ask that question with this underlying one in mind, which is I have heard that it is really only good for adult trauma. And not really as useful, not really as effective for childhood trauma. So, will you speak to that? Yeah, yeah. So, I am certainly biased. I'll just say that because I think that EMDR is such a good tool. So, I'll just say that. But I would say that EMDR, I think, with the right therapist and with the right resources can be helpful for anything that I would say feels disturbing to you, Mm. to any person. So what I mean by that is that, um, and this again is often kind of connected to that both big T and then also little T trauma. And, And disturbing is a word that's great because it doesn't have to be, I think people get afraid of the word trauma and they don't want to classify something that they've experienced as trauma. And so what I say, you know, to people is that, does that bring up a charge for you? Or does it, or does it feel yucky? Like when you think about it, is it like, like when I say even that word yucky, Mm -hmm. I get like a visceral sensation in my chest of what that is like, Oh, that's yucky. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything that brings up that sort of a sensation has the potential. I want to be really careful because this is not a magic bullet. It's not a um, flip a switch Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. And, and this is where it's helpful to understand trauma in the bigger framework of essentially the more complicated the trauma, the more complex the healing. And that applies to how we do EMDR work too. So what that means is, is that like, let's say someone has had a single event car accident as an adult, but in general, they've experienced good enough parenting in their childhood They've had somewhat sufficient support in their life. And so not that anybody's life is perfect, but they have generally experienced feeling like they have what they need to move through hard things until they got into a severe car accident and now they have PTSD. Mm. A client that comes into me for that um, will likely need less time to prepare for EMDR. And what I mean by that is I don't ever meet someone the first time and just start doing EMDR. Um, because we need to make sure part of my work is to make sure that I'm not re-traumatizing anybody. Mm. And the way that I do that is I need to make sure that someone has the, um, there's a, there's a term that I use and and it's not mine. It's called the window of tolerance. Mm -hmm. And everyone has a window in which they can physiologically tolerate the emotions and the sensations and the experiences they've had or are having. And trauma or feeling re-traumatized happens when someone gets triggered around their trauma and they're going outside of that window, either into fight or flight or into dissociation. And this is really important with EMDR work because what happens when we go outside of our window is that the top of our brain, our prefrontal cortex goes offline. And that's the part of our brain that integrates who like all of like everything. 
It brings everything together. If we don't have that available to us when we're trying to reprocess trauma, that is when we get re-traumatized. So a therapist who takes clients faster or further than the client has the resources or tolerance for is what is the recipe for getting re-traumatized. Wow. So what that means with our EMDR work is that this is why a single event, oftentimes that person has more tolerance to just target that situation and we can just reprocess it, get it filed correctly. And that trauma has been moved through the body. But like you had mentioned for childhood trauma, like what does that mean? And so, so I am a survivor of childhood trauma. And so I, I definitely can speak to this because I would say actually quite a few of my clients, this is true. And this is my own experience that the, the key here is that you're working with a therapist who first of all, understands complex trauma, who understands how to resource people and really make sure that um, they know how to help a person um, stay in their window of tolerance, what to do when someone goes out of their window of tolerance, how to help someone build their window over time Mm. so that as a person is ready, then we target, and that's the word we use with EMDR is we target things. Okay. events or situations, or, um, it could be like a bunch of events that are similar. And then we, and then we target that. And so, you know, for example, with what you talk about with sexual, like childhood sexual abuse, um, I would say that falls under that same category that it's, it's all about the pace and it's all about the safety that a a therapist helps a client develop over time. So they can stay in their window of tolerance while processing the trauma. So would you say that I think what you're saying is that if let's say somebody comes in with childhood trauma, they're an adult now and they have questions, you know, maybe something's going on here. What's, what's happening. Um, Mm -hmm. You would sit with them as they maybe tell their story, as you walk them through it, whatever it is until they reach a point where they they're able to stay in the window. And then you would do EMDR therapy or you're saying um, uh, you're developing that safety. They're able to talk and then you start EMDR, but you're, doing it while helping them stay in their window kind of which comes first, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, it would, it would not, it wouldn't look like them telling their story probably. And the reason is because people, you know, like, let's say, um, like someone knows they've experienced trauma Mm -hmm. and they're pretty aware of that. Like, um, and I am like pretty much always trying to track with that person to make sure they're still, still in their window of tolerance. And what can happen is when someone starts telling a story, um, they can dissociate really quickly. Mm -hmm. So that can look like someone getting really flat affect, like they just start talking and they're telling you the facts, but they're not there with you. Mm-hmm. That's actually a sign that they're out of their window of tolerance. Mm. The other sign to me is that someone starts telling and they start getting really anxious and they're talking super fast mm. and their heart is racing. So essentially, when someone tells their story, that oftentimes is actually the last thing that might happen. Like that often might happen after we do EMDR. Um, because it's like, it's like that trauma can get activated so quickly and I don't want to take someone where they're not ready to go. So what we try to do is like, um, like in an intake, they might, I might have them tell me things like in big, big themes or headings. Like, um, when I was eight, um, bad, bad things started happening. And so that's maybe all we would say at that point. I wouldn't be pushing them for details. I wouldn't be, I, because if I if we did that too quickly, um, that's again where that re-traumatization could happen. Like they might leave my office and all of a sudden they're super triggered and we've only started therapy and they don't have resources to even help themselves when that happens. And so early parts of therapy are really about um, like 
establishing and and this can be this is funny because so much of this is experiential but like I might help someone develop um something called like a calm place and this is where we really get the ability to create some space from the trauma um where we feel like we we develop a place in you know um sort of in our mind's eye that feels appropriate like when life feels really big and hard um that this is you know it's it's different than numbing because it's like an intentional way of being somewhere else as a way to care for yourself um we would work on creating what's called um like a team of allies and so that's really recognizing um, either real people or people that we can sort of, you know, this is where someone like we're connecting with Jesus could potentially be an ally, things like that, to have like a team with us. And we do some visualization practices and different things that, that sort of strengthen our ability to be with uncomfortable and painful things. So this is sort of what the pre-work looks like. And, and it's not like people don't ever get to tell their stories. It's only that I am trying to be really mindful with them that we are going at the pace that they can actually tolerate. That is so good. Okay. So what does a session, an EMDR session look like? So for the person who's listening, and we are going to go into specific questions, but the person who's listening, what could they expect from a session or what does it look like? Yeah. So let's say I've been seeing someone uh, for a little bit and I feel like they are resourced and they can stay in their window of tolerance um, as we address maybe their target. So we're kind of queued up for that. Um, the, in that session, we would probably essentially what I start to ask um, about this maybe agreed upon, you know, target is I ask them if they can tell me um, if they were watching a movie of this thing that was hard and they pushed pause at the picture of the thing that was the hardest, what would the picture be? And then I would say, what, what um, emotions does that bring up for you? And then I would say, and where do you feel that in your body? And then I would say, um, what negative belief does this bring up for you about yourself? And it, you know, it could be like, I am bad. Um, it's my fault. It's, I mean, there's hundreds of ways that might play out, but, um, negative beliefs are typically tied to our trauma. That's part of the reason why we often aren't able to process it because we in some way feel like it's our fault in some, in some way. And that can vary how that looks. Um, and then I would ask on a scale of zero to 10, how disturbing is this for you right now? And at this point, if someone is like, if it's so intolerable to this person to be going there, um, I would check in to make sure that we could still do this. Um, because truly, like if someone's like at a 10 plus, I would want to say, okay, what would we, what would we need to feel safe? Does it feel okay to go in there? And they might say, nope. And I, and then we'd shut it down and then we would do some resourcing to help them feel safe again. Um, but if they felt like it was okay, I would say, um, instead of this negative, negative belief, what do you want to believe about this target? So for example, it could be, I did the best I could. Um, I am loved. Um, it's over now. You know, I, I'm not alone. Like there are lots of different things that, you know, people might say there. And then I will say on a scale of one to seven, how much do you believe that, that positive statement right now? And, you know, a lot of people, it'll be not almost anything. It'll be like a two mm-hmm. or a three, mm-hmm. like they, you know, maybe cognitively they believe something, but physiologically they don't. Mm-hmm. And so, and from there is when, you know, a lot of times I'll give folks either it's, this is when it's going to either be like eye movement or I might give them tappers to hold. So it's like a pulse and a pulse and a pulse. Um, and then I sort of essentially, uh, coach them to essentially lean, like lean into all the things we just, we sort of, we, um, lit up 
is what we call it. We just lit up the trauma basically. But if we can be with it, we know we're in our window of tolerance still, which is so important. And then we, I would have them maybe stay with that thing, sort of thinking about it, getting curious with it, um, noticing how it's moving in their body for maybe 30 seconds. And then I would check in with them. And, and that's sort of the, we continue to do that. And I offer support or interventions if someone feels really stuck. Okay. So have you, I mean, obviously you think it's a wonderful tool, so you've seen it help people. Um, have you seen it help people who are struggling with childhood sexual abuse or rape or, um, any sexual trauma? Have you seen it help them to get unstuck or untriggered and, and reprocessed in their brain? Have you seen that to be, is EMDR effective for that? And do you have any stories or examples you could share? Yeah. I mean, I would say I do believe it can be effective. However, I do think it's something that, you know, I think, you know, things like rape and things like sexual violence um, are, are an extremely high level of violation. And this is so significant in this conversation because it's, it's like to allow trauma to get fully processed means we need to have more layers of safety and resources. And so I think what I would just say for your listeners who might be wondering about this is that absolutely, like our bodies are wired to heal. They are designed. Like God made us to heal. That's, that's absolutely possible. And like the level to which we were made to feel unsafe is the level to which now in present day time, we actually need to like, we need to counter that. So whatever the therapist you're working with who around this type of topic, it's sort of like they really need to understand that is what I would say. So like what that might look like, um, like I would just say, you know, I'll, I'll kind of make this a general story of uh, example of someone who's experienced rape. Um, what that looked like initially was I had, we did what is called, it's sort of an alternate protocol, which what that means is that we would begin to allow her to sort of briefly focus on the target of the rape for, I mean, she would only maybe stay with it for 10 to 15 seconds at first. And then we would actually, um, pendulate, like pendulate is the word we would swing over to a time or an experience where she felt, um, really secure, um, like really nurtured by someone in her life, like totally physically safe. And so the reason why we do something like this with trauma that is really um, disturbing and severe is because it's actually a way that we're integrating the brain in real time between a resource and the wound. And it's a way to help someone strengthen their window of tolerance while still addressing the actual trauma. And over time, we were able to, to build her tolerance with um, with the, you know, basically processing the rape to the point where she could fully get to the point where she knew, you know, that it wasn't her fault and that it was over now. Mm. So that leads me to this other question. So we know that there's lots and lots of layers when there's sexual violation and that somebody may need to work through. So does the EMDR come first to deal with maybe like if I can get them through this part to get them unstuck here, to get them reintegrated here, then we can begin to unravel layers. Or is the therapy first to unravel layers and then the EMDR? I'm asking it like, like when you take anti-anxiety medication, like I take anti-anxiety medication mm-hmm. and I'm always like, no, I want to get off it before I go through counseling. And my doctor's like, no, because it will help you to actually go through the counseling if your mind is able to like be in it mm-hmm. and not you know, you're not, whatever. So I, it's cause it sounds like EMDR. It's not this, it's not like long-term therapy. It's something to unstick you. You said was the key to get unstuck. So what, 
I guess you kind of answered it earlier, but it's making me think of it again with a specific, like you said, with a rape victim. So what would come first? So I would say that, so what I would say first, just with EMDR is like one tool in my tool belt. Yes. And so it's something I integrate into my whole way that I do therapy. Mm. So like, in, like, so in Trice after, you know, the book, I, that's a lot of how I do therapy. Mm-hmm. And so in that, it's almost like when things come up for somebody, but they have all the different protective factors of learning how to pay compassionate attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. When we do that work alternately, we're like giving ourselves the best opportunity to potentially continue to integrate. And so I just say that as a side note of like EMDR is usually like it's rarely like, um, this is how I do therapy all the time. And it's more like, this is one of the things I do, um, when it's appropriate. And so, you know, there might be three sessions in a row where we're talking and then we do some, you know, like resourcing. And then the next two sessions we do EMDR Mm. and then we talk again. Okay. And so it's very dynamic based off of what a person needs, what their story is, um, what their level of tolerance is. And, and that, and I say that from a place of like, there's no shame with that. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. um, the more trauma someone has, it's really normal that their window of tolerance is smaller. And that just means we have to, we just have to honor that pace and there's, and that's totally okay. Um, so with your other question though, about what comes first, what I would say is, is that I think a lot of that is um, going to fall into psychoeducation, which would come first, typically. Um, like, let's say there's a rape victim who feels a ton of shame around, uh, like, that they should have done more, that mm. it was their fault, that maybe something that they did made it happen. Like, if we go into that too quickly, they may not have something to pull from that tells them it wasn't their fault. I need that person to have um, some sort of foundation that there's some part of themselves that's like, if my best friend was in this situation, what would I tell her? Mm. Would I like, would I tell her it was her fault? (laughs) Um, Like that is one, one way in to that kind of a conversation Mm -hmm. to where it's like, Um, or maybe someone has been socialized so strongly that that's not going to be enough, that we have to do even more psychoeducation to, um, help them realize that and to have some part of themselves know that it's not their fault. Um, so that when we go into the processing, it's almost like the part of them that learned, like there is nothing that someone could ever do that would make it okay for them to experience sexual violence. Like it's just never their fault. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we need them to be able to have the, um, like once the traumatized part can ultimately connect to that part, because that's, what's going to help, um, facilitate the full movement of the trauma being processed. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is this is so helpful. We are all getting such an incredible education right now. <laughs> also, everybody is going to contact you to become their therapist. Um, <laughs> okay, so here's a question that I have that I think um, comes up again and again, and I'm I'm curious about it as well. If someone, okay, I'm going to frame it and then ask it. If somebody okay. has symptoms of that something has happened in their life, like a sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. but they don't have a memory of it. Is Mm -hmm. EMDR therapy something that can help them? And I'll give one little uh, example. Let's say, and I I put this in our our little notes here that you saw. Let's say a woman um, is in bed and her husband goes to touch her. And she flinches, but she doesn't know why she's flinching. She has no memory of something happening to her, but her body is reacting in a way that like is causing her to feel paralyzed and ragey and whatever it is. Would EMDR therapy be effective for somebody who doesn't have a memory, but knows that there was some trauma in their body because of how their body is reacting? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good question. And yes. Absolutely. And this is one of the things I love about EMDR is that there are lots of ways to, to target something that's disturbing. Mm. 
And it doesn't mean it has to be like a solid memory. Mm. Um, And so our body often communicates through sensation. Mm -hmm. Um, Sensation is a great clue that something is happening, right? Like it doesn't mean that we're going to say, like it's really common for clients that I work with to only have sensations and not Mm. clear memories, or maybe the memories are very uh, dicey, like that's not clear, but it's, there's something there, but you just, maybe it's not like you could write about it even. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the, you know, one of the things I'm grateful for is that some of the EMDR training I've had, um, really has specialized in with somatic therapy mm-hmm. and somatic perspectives really come from paying attention and honoring the processes of our body which is really what is so connected to that sensation. Um, and so I would just say like, if this person, if I had been working with them and, and they were resourced and I knew that they had what they needed in, in the sense of like, um, they knew they could tell me we could stop if it got to, to be too much, things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, we could target there, you know, like we would actually begin Mm -hmm. with the experience that she was having with her husband in bed. And then we would do what's called a float back. And that would just be for her, that person to try to allow themselves to think of the earliest time that they remember feeling this way. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to even be obviously connected. And it could honestly just be a sensation. It could be like, Oh, around 10, I started feeling this in my stomach. Mm. And And if I said, and how disturbing is that sensation to you now? And they are like a nine what that tells me is that no matter what, there's something disturbing there. Yeah. I don't need, we don't need to have all the details of what it is in order for it to be processed. Mm. Um, now it, it still means that all the other things I've said up till now are, remains true. Yes. That we have to make sure we have all the safety elements. We have to make sure we have the resources. We have to have those things in place. Because just because you don't don't remember it doesn't mean it's not overwhelming. Mm. Well, that is certainly going to be so helpful for women who are listening right now who are like, thank God, maybe I can get some help. Um, mm. I'm so glad you cleared that up. I've heard lots of different things around that. And so that is very, very helpful. Um, okay, what kind of emotions might people experience as they go through EMDR therapy? Mm. Gosh, I would say yes. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, so, so really, if you think about it, like we are unsticking the trauma. So whatever didn't get processed originally will get processed now. Mm. So it's everything. Sometimes it's rage Sometimes it's deep sadness. Sometimes it's feeling really alone. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's, high, it's, it's anxiety of, of something. Um, you know, and, and in EMDR, one of the things I'm always checking in with clients about is, is it moving? Is it, is it uh, like, like moving feels like kind of a difficult word to describe when I'm talking about it, but emotions actually are experienced in our body. Mm. meaning our sensations are actually the beginning of emotions and what we name them are what feelings are. (laughs) Mm. I love how you said that. Yeah. So what that means is, is that we are facilitating, we are sort of allowing the process that didn't get to happen to happen now. Mm. And so it's like our body, all of those emotions, all those sensations is our body doing everything possible to move us through this thing that felt so disturbing and yucky that we felt like we originally couldn't do it. Mm. And so now it's sort of like, and this again, you know, the book Trisofter is so much um, connected to this idea because it's all about paying compassionate attention. Yes. To our experience. I love that. And so this is where it can be such a great resource just in our everyday life is that when we turn towards ourselves, and this is true for EMDR too, if we can have that compassionate attention as we are having an experience, 
it is truly allows us to be resilient, like paradoxically, right? Mm -hmm. Because people hear compassion and they're like, oh, that's so weak. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe not everybody, but many people think that. And what's so interesting about that is that, is that compassion actually allows us to feel the feelings that need to be felt in order for us to be whole. Yes. That is so good. And I think that we're all so afraid of the pain and the memories and the hurt because it is, it can be brutal, but yeah, Mm -hmm. to be compassionate and to listen. I had some unwanted sexual thoughts and I remember a therapist telling me once, a friend therapist, she said, stop Mm -hmm. judging yourself and start getting curious, like have compassion. Like, what are they trying to tell you? Like what maybe are they trying to teach you? And that was like game changing for me to, instead of like, oh, you're so gross, stop eating yourself, you know, like just feeling hatred instead of going, wait a minute, wait a minute, what is this trying to tell me? And it was so uh, helpful Mm. to opening up a door of like, whoa, this actually is telling me a story of something I'm doing in my mind that has happened to me and that God wants to heal. And so that was pretty incredible Mm -hmm. to learn about that. And you can't do that without having incredible compassion towards yourself. So I'm so glad that you said that. Okay. I'm kind of moving through some of these questions here because I want to honor the people who asked them. Do you ever have to do maintenance on the trauma or memory to keep it at a healthy level? Like somebody who's dealt with something, they've been, I guess if, if there's been wholeness, I don't know, do people ever have to come back and do it again on that same memory or traumatic experience? I mean, I think there's, I wish I could give like a, like it's always this way or it's always that, but it's simply just not, um, especially when it's connected to childhood trauma, I would say it's more likely to have just a lot of layers. And so maybe we might work through one thing that we is thinking like that felt fully processed, but then a month later, another element of that might come up that is connected to it, but maybe different. Um, and so I wouldn't call it so much maintenance. It's more of a, almost a posture of like, it takes as long as it takes. And that our body, our body heals at the pace it's ready to heal. And so if something is coming back up for us, it's probably because it's actually like, this is where I think we just have so much space to honor our bodies. Our bodies are like, okay, I'm ready now. Yes. And that's where it's coming up. And so there might be times when you thought you dealt with something and then some, and it, and it still comes up again. And it's just your body saying, okay, I'm ready now. Mm. That is so good. It's so good because we can't rush it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, hard and good truth. Okay, uh, lots of people have <laughs> lots of people have asked me the question like, does she have any examples or like, what is her experiencing treating long her childhood? Everyone wants to know is there hope? Like, really, what's behind that is is there really hope that this can help? And so I want to put it in this question. Mm-hmm. So if let's say there's a woman who comes to you and she struggles with sex, she doesn't like it, maybe because of childhood sexual abuse or something that happened to her or her body's just reacting and she doesn't understand. Have you seen a woman come to you who did not like sex or struggled with it in some way because of trauma, mm-hmm. go through your therapy, you know, go through therapy, go through EMDR and come out and actually like there was a change, like she can enjoy it. She's not is triggered, like, mm. because the underlying question for all these women that have been asking me questions is, you know, is there hope? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would just want to say that for anyone listening, I just want to encourage you to know there's so much hope. I mean, mm. they're just, I mean, it just brings a tear to, you know, I just get emotional thinking about that because I think it's so common people, you know, and, and oftentimes when we're in, our trauma or when we're really living from it, it just feels so hopeless. Mm. And so I just think that if we can take this posture that it is a process yeah, and yet we can heal so much mm. that if we can let go of needing it to be immediate, but lean into the journey, mm. you will be floored. You'll be floored by the life that is available to you in, like now in mm. the here and now. 
Um, and I can say that as a person that like my story doesn't involve sexual violence, but I have had so much relational trauma and that I could not have imagined living and being the person I am today, 10 years ago. Mm. I can't imagine, I, I couldn't have imagined sort of the freedom and the aliveness available to me, um, in this life, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just want to say that, but in terms of the specific question, you know, I, I, I haven't had a lot of folks with that specific issue, but I've had a few. And what I would just say is that I have seen folks come alive to their bodies Mm. And as they come alive with compassion, they, you know, and I think there's this confluence of not only EMDR, but also practicing this posture of compassionate attention in their everyday lives mm. that allows them to be with their body in a new way. Because here's the thing about pleasure is that we can't experience pleasure if we also can't experience pain. Mm. So to the extent that we are disconnected from our pain because we've had to be, because we couldn't like very validly. And I just want to say that I don't mean that in any sort of shaming way, mm -hmm. but as a protective mechanism, we couldn't feel our pain. It also means that we can't feel that we can't experience usually much pleasure because they, mm -hmm. they are on the same, they're two sides of the same coin. And so what I would just say is that I have seen folks, like the things that have kept them, like they would never have thought that they could be intimate, that they could have reconnection in some areas, that they could enjoy things that they once feared, that it becomes something that they're able to truly love and savor. And that absolutely includes sex. That's very hopeful. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I'm so glad yeah. for this whole interview. Okay. I have, I'm so grateful for you and the work you're doing. This is really wonderful. Um, okay. Two last questions. When do you know EMDR might be helpful for you? I think if you are experiencing what feels like significant disturbance or again, I know it's not a very clinical word, but yuckiness, like in honestly, almost anything. I mean, you basically with EMDR originally it was thought it was only for PTSD. And, and essentially what I would say now is that if something affects your nervous system, you could, you can use EMDR to work with it. Like, I mean, that's how broad it is, whether that's anxiety, whether that is even depression, um, whether that is um, relational issues, whether that is um, various addictions, um, whether that is uh, concerns around um, how you're caring for yourself or even things like, I mean, I think even things like food, although sometimes that is actually more of a symptom of a deeper pain. But there are just so many ways that um, our nervous system expresses its needs to us. And so EMDR can be helpful pretty much with any of those. Oh, okay. That's great. And now for the hardest question, <laughs> which is, how on earth do you find a good EMDR therapist, because I feel like, and I don't know the answer to this, but it seems only recent that we're hearing more Christian EMDR therapists trained and trauma trained mm -hmm. therapists. Mm -hmm. um, is there like a Christian EMDR trauma trained database somewhere? Like how do people find a good Christian yeah. trauma and EMDR trained therapist? It feels like they're all in Colorado, by the way. Uh <laughs> So, there's so yeah. many therapists in Colorado. What is up with that? I, well, trauma trained therapists. I think it's great. I have no idea. Maybe it's the mountains. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So here's what I would say. I don't, there may be some sort of Christian database. I, I'm not aware of it. However, this is what I tell people a lot is that um, psychology today is actually a great resource. And here's why I think that um, you can um, use their filters Hmm. to find different like 
therapists who have different sort of qualifications and even, you know, faith backgrounds. And so one of those things is that you can, you know, uh, find a, a Christian therapist, like you can click, you know, Christian, but then you also can do like, uh, trained in EMDR or you could do EMDR and somatic therapy, which is like, that's my background. Um, and then, you know, if like, also, if you're wanting to make sure it's through insurance, you can click, they accept a certain kind of insurance. And then what I recommend to folks is to find like three therapists mm. who you think could be good. And then like, if you're wanting to especially find someone who does EMDR, I would ask questions like, how often do you use EMDR? Because mm. the reality is there are some folks who've been trained in EMDR, but they rarely use it. Okay. And that's that's, I would not highly recommend someone who's not using it often because you lose, you just, if you're not using it all the time, you know, use it or lose it kind of a thing. Um, and so that's an important idea. So how frequently are you, are you using this modality? Um, have you worked with folks with a similar issue as mine? So if you're looking to work with sexual, around sexual violence or childhood sexual abuse, um, or, you know, rape, whatever that looks like for you, I would specifically ask if they've worked with that issue, how comfortable do you feel with that type of an issue? And, you know, I think part of it is is gauging how that person responds with you and, and how do you feel as they respond. Um, you might ask, what does, what does faith integration look like for you? Um, you know, for me in the work that I do, I am a Christian and I work with lots of folks who are Christian, but I also work with folks who are not Christian. And so I'm very mindful and sensitive to what is going to be helpful to most helpful to my client and, and sort of getting that consent of how much, because I want their faith to be a resource to them, mm -hmm. not something that, um, if it's a part of their trauma, then we need to be really mindful of that. And we need to work with that very delicately. Um, so that's something to consider. And then the last thing I would say is that how do you feel talking to that therapist? Mm -hmm. Um, most therapists will give you like a 20 minute free, you know, maybe free consultation or a touch base. Um, like, do you see yourself? Is there some chemistry? Is there a sense that, yeah, I could see myself, maybe not immediately, but getting comfortable with this person. Okay. That's good. I'm writing down all these questions because I'm going to put them in the notes, guys, in the show notes. There will, there will be the link to Andy's website and her book and to psychologytoday.com, if that's what it is. <laughs> I think that's what it is, what you said. Yeah, and yeah. these questions as well so that you all have that resource. Do you take online clients or no? You know, I don't, and I'm okay. actually, I'm, I'm on a pretty long waiting list right now. Um, and so, yeah, unfortunately that's, that's just not something that I'm able to provide right now. Okay. I know people are going to ask. And so that's why I'm just totally. getting it out there. <laughs> totally. Well, Andi, this has been so informative, so helpful and so hopeful. And I'm so, so, so grateful for your voice and your, the good work that you're doing. And, um, and everybody go check out her book, Try Softer. Again, it's Andy Kolber, K-O-L-B-E-R. And I will have her book listed and linked in the show notes, Try Softer, a fresh approach to move us out of anxiety, stress, and survival mode and into a life of connection and joy. Andy, uh, thank you is hardly enough, but thank you so much. Absolutely. You're so welcome. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. If you like this podcast, if you found it helpful, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not, so your review matters. Thank you so much. If you want to know more, check out the Complicated Heart Podcast.com.